Hello and welcome to Vergecast. My name is Foster Todd. I'm excited to be with you here today. Today we have a very special episode, particularly that I'm sitting here with um, the Gary Campus guys, and we have a exciting podcast that I'm just looking around here, and we're discussing particularly just what is it like to be a black student today in the culture we live in. Particularly, we really want to get this conversation going just in light of what's going on in our country today. In a time to when there's a lot of divide, uncertainty, and myself, as I look to try to learn the situation, I think the best way I learn is just talking to people who are personally affected by this. Because I know just as we're sitting here at this table, I grew up in the middle of the country, on the north side of Indianapolis, homeschooled. And when it comes to life, what people live, it's just like, when it comes to relatability, I'm sitting here I'm like, well, obviously I wasn't, I haven't lived the same life. I'm not the same skin color. So the best way I learn is ask questions. And I hope all of us here today can learn if you're part of Verge or be part of a different youth group. I'm personally excited. So today I want to introduce to you who we have here. And I'm sitting to my right, I have Chris, who is the muscle man right now. If this dude is doing like 300 push-ups a day. It's 350, but it's okay. 350. Lots of broccoli and oatmeal. Lots of broccoli and oatmeal. And then right in front of me, we have Malachi, who I thought was 30 years old when I met him. But he's a senior. Is that it? You're a senior? Goodness gracious. And then... Join us online through Zoom. We have Natasha, right? Is that Natasha? Did I say that right? Natasha. Yep, awesome. And so, and tell us, what grade are you in? Oh, I'm in 10th grade. 10th grade. Well, I appreciate you joining. And to my left, we have Dexter himself and Flex. And he's here. He's ready to go. And they have a podcast they're doing tonight. So I appreciate their time. And so today, it's a lot of it. You're not going to hear them from me. So again, it's going to be a good podcast. You don't have to hear me talk. And so kind of the whole discussion here is just what are the unique pressures that black students face particularly in their life and in their schools? And what is it like to be in their shoes, which is the title of this message? So the first question I have is just what are the various pressures that you feel that are kind of put upon you, that are given to you by your peers, that are given to you by society? So this goes between being a student and just being a black yourself. So I'm going to just start the foreground with my man, Chris, here, who leads Verge at this campus, for you to start the dialogue and start the conversation with everything else. But what are those various pressures? What's that like? Mm. Well, I would just be um, asking from the conversation that we've been having is that there really is a lowered ceiling and a lowered expectation about um, what it actually looks like to be, quote, unquote, successful. Mm. Um, and I think some of that is because the culture has shined a light in the lens on some things that aren't necessarily valuable in others. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so like it, it is pressure to be more fashionable than it is to be intelligent in some in some circles. So that would be one of the things that we kind of talked about. But I would definitely address or point it to somebody who is actually there now, like Malachi. I would ask him. Like, what do you feel pressure? What pressures you in school nowadays? Um, I feel like that we got to be a, at a certain level and that we have to uh, do the certain expectation that they tell us to do, not what we want to do. Hmm. So I feel like that's a struggle that we have to do what they want to tell us to do, not what we want to do. So who, who's the they? Like, what does that mean? Like, who's the they in this situation? Like the teachers, the, the um, faculty, all that. Hmm. 
So kind of going with what Chris was saying is there's unique pressures of value. Like you have to be a certain what we deem as valuable. So my when I hear this, my question is like just um, from my context, are you talking about your peers with each other? So you guys are saying like this is what we value as like a culture of mm-hmm. us. Like are you talking about like being black? This is what we value. So you have to act like this. Or are you saying like outside being white like oh that's a white culture their value so we put it on ourselves like what does that mean well what i'm saying is naturally when you're younger you are searching for identity so you Mm. have that natural progression that every culture deals with and you have a more specific um identity crisis in which you have the african-american culture or black culture where you have trying to figure out um do you do you more resemble what do you resemble with you know is it the music you know is it the music where they say you have to if you don't have jays on you know then then you're not part of the popular group you know what i mean or is it we wear hoodies and we wear sweatpants you know or you know you do that then that's that's kind of what we wear but in certain neighborhoods you can't wear that either because you're considered like a thug so it's like you have this identity crisis where that everybody's trying to be uh, matching what their peers, but at the same note, it you have the weight of a whole culture, you know what I mean, that seems to be placed upon people's shoulders because you are lumped into a whole group of this is how you think, and you try to find your own individuality in that, in the midst of trying to determine if that's acceptable in a more national scale, global scale, than just even something as small as in school. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that uh, with black teens, uh, helping them to develop and to understand that there is two different um, measuring sticks of success. And I think as a black student, you have to figure both of those things out. Uh, Because success in America is measured by... um, to the degree that you assimilate to white culture will determine how successful you are. Um, And so not only do you need to understand your culture thoroughly, understand yourself thoroughly, embrace the language that you know, um, embrace the world that you know, but then on top of that, um, we have to teach black teens that you also need to understand this other world. Um, You also need to understand what it is to go to an interview and to drop the language or, or what other cultures call slang or where the culture is looked as less than or you got this cultural superiority that they have to now navigate through. Yep. Um, and so you got to learn two languages. Yep. Um, and though you will say, you know, both of those languages are English or whatever. Um, and so th- there's nothing wrong with talking slang, right? Um, and, and, and indeed, it's very poetic, but... You cannot go to an interview at Walmart and get a job if you're, you know, talking a certain way or dressing a certain kind of way. Um, and so I think that there's a double pressure put on them and a double expectation put on them with a lack of resources. So uh, some of the schools are not resource well. The books that they have, some of them are not up to date. Um, and so it's almost like Pharaoh and Exodus. You know, our teams feel like, man, Pharaoh has called them to make bricks with no straw. Um, and so I think that that brings about, you know, just a huge dynamic. And I know Malachi, you, you know, you know, you know, developing in things like that as a young man, getting ready to graduate this year. Congratulations, by the way, to Malachi getting ready to graduate. 
Um, are you like coming into a space now where you feel that, man, yes, I'm this young black man and obviously you're still trying to develop what that is. Uh, me and Chris sits across the table, like with a more development of, man, we know what it is to be a black man in America. And we're looking like, man, this guy's getting ready to run into some things that he may not be completely aware of. But do, do are you starting to feel any pressures in regards to this developing teenager that's getting ready to step into the real world? Yes, I feel like that the school system could have taught us more about like life. Like we get into life, like money situations, like they don't teach us on money accounting, all that. I think they need to teach us that more. Mm. Instead of just teaching us like the basic reading, math, that stuff helps. But once we get a certain age, I think we need to learn more stuff about life. Because mm. we get into life and we go into life not knowing it's going to be bad for us. Yeah. Hey, uh, Natasha, I wanna... we're sitting at this table and one thing we all have in common at this table, we're all a bunch of men. And that's one thing that we have. But you have something that's unique that none of us have. And that is being a female. And so you have kind of like um, another set of pressures that you could be facing is one is like you're a female and two is you're a black female. And so you have like all these other pressures that even us at this table as I'm learning just what does this mean for uniquely as like what are the what are pressures that black students face. But you have kind of like a double whammy of like what are the pressures you face from those different camps. So I was hoping you could educate us of just what is what does that look like? What is what is what's what's it like to be in your shoes? Um, well, to start off, it's all about if you decide to conform or not. So mm-hmm. in my environment or in my school, there's a certain way that all girls mostly are like the ones everyone think are cool or the ones everyone think are going to be successful. Um, keyword think. Um, you can either conform to be like them or you can try to find individuality. But when you try to find yourself along the way, like on that road, you become alone. Mm. And yes, it's nice to be alone and soul search, but all people need someone around them who can help them build. So when you choose to not be like everyone else, you lose that essence of getting to know other people and letting their skills enhance your skills, if that makes any sense. And then there are beauty standards that you have to go with. And if you don't follow those standards, you also get lost within like everyone else. And once you choose, like once you choose a road, there's no switching sides. So you can either be on the social media. I'm going to be successful. Like I'm going to get a bunch of clout or you could be the, I think I want to go to Harvard. I want to pursue, you know, other interests other than I want to get a bunch of likes and hearts on my page. Hmm. Does that make sense? That made that makes sense a lot because you're acknowledging a lot of things. It's like when you are trying to grow, it can be spiritually, it can be in those category it could be even as you're trying to discover who you are, it's you almost get reprimanded for it. And especially as what Dex was saying, going off with him, it's like and what Chris was saying, as I'm sitting here learning, it's like you have this idea of what value is and if you go outside, if you deviate from that value system it's a lonely road and you almost get ostracized by your peers and from the other race because it's like immediately you're looked upon saying you're supposed to be in that camp and then when you're trying to better yourself and act a certain way your own camp look at you saying well you're not acting like what we value so you're almost like from two different lenses you're being viewed a certain way when you're trying to personally grow 
and you're trying to even what that looks like it's where it could be spiritually you're trying to yield yourself to the lord you're trying to grow as a person and like what you were saying learn life skills you're trying to go that route not fit the mold and just like it can be a lonely road whichever yeah. one you go to and i think like for teens um you know as they're developing peer-to-peer part of the issue is that it is sometimes looked at as perpetrating uh, but, but it's really trying to be successful in a way that has been heaped upon you, not in something that you necessarily want to do. And so one of the things that we try to do here at the City Life Center is to get teenagers to, I have to learn how to assimilate while at the same time keeping a hold of myself, which W.E. Du Bois says something like the black person has like two souls or two minds where he has to be able to balance and navigate through these two worlds um, and for your peers who have not had that epiphany yet they only can see that as you're selling out um, but that's not always necessarily the case although you do have cases you know uh, like that um, but it's 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 almost you have to give up some of who you are to become successful while you look on at a world that takes the raw giftedness and material of hip hop, of poetry, of graffiti and make money off of it. And they capitalize off of it. But when a black person does that, it's looked at, or a black teen does it, he's a thug, he's a threat to society. Um, and so and so and so they gotta they gotta grapple through all that and deal with all that. Um, I don't want to hawk too much of the mic, so I, uh, Chris, I'll pass this to you. Like, man, uh, talk a little bit about the school to prison pipeline, yeah. which is something that is not talked a lot about, yeah. um, but it's something that they gotta. Yeah, I mean, like they. Um, first of all, it just it go, really goes back and sticks to the whole value system, right? So like so like there there is a there's a plan in place so to speak that happens when people don't go they don't continue in their education right so like at some point whenever they stop the education if it's prior to graduating high school or not there is the numbers are astronomical on where they end up prison more likely you know what I mean then you in prison and then you while you're in prison you know maybe you might have had um, a child early you know what I mean? Or like, so like whatever that happens, then ultimately that child is raised without one parent. And then that, this it's like a continuous cycle that continues to go on and on. All because, and I think this is my personal thought, but I think that for so long, um, African-Americans were taught that they were only valuable because of what they can do, right? So like, so like you see that in like every area. So it's like what, what you can do how you look is where all your value comes from. So because of that, uh, early on in their life, if they if they aren't like the best at reading or they aren't the best at being able to speak well or all of these things, whereas these um, teenagers are searching for identity, right? They they try to try to get involved in sports, right? But unfortunately, Timothy can't run or catch, right? So he gets dissed by all his boys. You can't run or catch. You can't play sports. All right. So then he goes then then. Then Timothy has to figure out, okay, I can't run, I can't do that or whatever. So now he's angry, right? He's he's angry. He's got all these emotions and all these things are going on and he's trying to fit in. So he's like, okay, now he's he 
you know what I mean? He's having difficulties in school, you know, because he's angry. You know, maybe maybe the household situation isn't the best. Maybe maybe he has some type of relative that's going through something or whatever. So now he got this issue with school. So now what does what is he to do? Right now he has to try to um, find some form of identity in some other way. And unfortunately, um, in this culture, it seems as if the streets is where most people can find their identity when the other institutions don't work and then they end up in the prison system you know what i mean and it and because it only seems like the way to go and then you get out of the prison you know if you, you don't have a long sentence you get out and now you have a record right mm -hmm. so there's only so many jobs you're going to be able to work and then now you're trying to get your life together and it's like you just see it repeat over and over again but it really starts in this high school teenage years because they have to reshape the lens into knowing one that you know you're valuable enough for God to give His most prized possession, which was His Son, right? You know, so you can't really skate around that. Like, there's a lot of social service work that that try to skate around that. You know what I mean? But ultimately, you still deal with your own self identity, which is flawed, right? We all are flawed. So that's mm. something that if you try to go, you try to show yourself. You can read enough self help books. You can do all of that, and it can make you feel good about yourself until you realize, once again, that you are flawed. We fail. We will never uh, reach our own standards or anybody else's, right? But you got that. But ultimately, you have to find value in who, in that God sees value in you. But also, like, God's giving everybody gifts. You know what I mean? Like, there's people who make, who make money off of knowing how to set up a room right now. You know what I mean? Like they call it fun shui. You know, I can't spell it, but it, you know what I mean? But people people make people make they, You know what I mean? People make serious money off of that. You know, and it was one time and I'm gonna let y'all talk. But it was one time I was on the bus at the old job I had, and it was a young lady who was a senior in high school. So I'm asking, like, what are you gonna do when you get out of high school? You know, do you have any talents? Now her brother was in eighth grade, get ready to go to high school. And I was like, you know, like your brother, he dances. Do you dance? She's like, No, I don't dance. I was like, do you sing? She's like, no, I don't sing. I'm like, what do you do? She's like, I don't really, I don't really have any talent. I'm like, you gotta have some type of talent, right? I'm like, everybody has some type of talent. She's like, no. I'm like, are you a neat person? She's like, oh, I can't stand a mess. She's always cleaning stuff. I'm like, that right there could be your gift, hmm. you know? But like, unfortunately, in our culture, if you can't rap, sing, you know, or dance real well, or if you, not, you know what I mean? Those type of things, those type of things aren't looked at as valuable gifts because we don't promote it because once again you know we we move our lens of success based upon what society and quite frankly america has shown us that unless we aren't those unless we aren't those things tap dance anyway unless we aren't those those uh publicly seen figures doing something that's just wild and amazing then unfortunately our teens are left to believe right. that they and, and just piggybacking that. off of that like Part of the issue that you have, so if you go to a white suburbia, um, first of all, the moment you look at the school, it's full of beauty. Um, you have state-of-the-art kind of architecture going on. Not only that embedded inside of the schools is a billion resources. Um, and they introduce and have funds and accessibilities to introduce their students to a myriad of options. So a lot of my white friends, their kid is in like six sports, right? Those things cost money, right? Because they're trying to develop them and find out what they like, right? So you're in piano, you're in baseball, you're in basketball, 
you're in whatever you like. You're, you're in robotics, you, you know, whereas in, uh, in the city of Gary, you don't have any options, right? Um, you, you, you barely got a nice football field, right? You barely have a nice basketball court. So essentially what happens is, is that teams are narrowed down to sports, as, as uh, Chris said, and we know that the pickings are few, right? Um, and so what do you have? And then if you don't have after-school program, mom can't afford to put you in this, she can't afford to put you in this, she can't afford to put you in that. And so a lot of these talents and gifts, they lay dormant, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so you end up at McDonald's or yeah. Family Dollar, yeah. you know, um, or not even being developed in such a way that now you're able to look forward, you know, to a future um, because you're so boxed in. There's, there, there's a lack of, of options. And one of the things that I love that I've seen on Facebook is this one guy, he lined all these kids up in a race. And you guys probably seen this, right? And he allowed the white kids to go forward and he let the, the black kids stay there. He's like, you had this, take, take a step forward. You had this, take a step forward, right? Um, and so I think that one of the things that black teens face is a lack of resources mm -hmm. and a lack of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then when they end up in jail or they end up in a gang, the world says, look at it, look at them. There goes another one. But we never consider the full narrative of how did an individual get there? What all contributed to these teenagers, you know, getting there? I go to Malachi once again because you're in high school. What options do you guys have? Like, I know you probably have band, you probably have sports. Is there anything else offered like robotics, uh, thing, uh, thing, things like that? Like, um, advanced things like, you know, internet and all these things, social media, all these different things that they have, web design. Yeah. Any of that stuff offered? Did you come across any of that? No, I never got, I never got across none of that. I feel like us teens, we look at the media first before we try anything else. Like we don't look for robotics, engineering, none of that. We go for the media first. And we look at these athletes and these rappers like they're almighty, like they're bigger than us. Like, we look at LeBron James and be like, oh, yeah, I want to be LeBron James. That's what I want to do. I want to be a basketball player. Best basketball player in the world, too. Oh, All yeah. time. Yeah, well, Go. Well, hold on. Uh, okay, can't skip over MJ like that. But I think LeBron, I Le Le LeBron is definitely second. There's some people talking about Kobe because he got five rings, but that's a whole different story. So. <laughs> but, yeah, we look at these athletes like LeBron, these rappers like Drake, and we be like, yes, that's why I want to go. But. Not a lot of people make it into that field. Not a lot of people make it to be a basketball player. Not a lot of people make it to be a rapper. So we try that, and it don't work. And then where are we at? Where are we at now? Now we in the streets, doing other stuff to get money. Now we work at McDonald's, doing other stuff trying to get money, and then it don't work out. So we end up in jail or dead. Hmm. Before we transition, I want to get your thoughts on we talk about resources. How the, how does in the local church help get those resources? Because, but um. I remember when um, I worked at community centers down in Lafayette, we had, uh, I was talking to a man who was involved in school systems down in the south of Alabama and Georgia, and something that's just horrifying is like the SPC schools, like you have like super good at football, all this, but digging kind of, I don't know if it's changed since then, but to be a football player, it's like one, you don't need to declare a major, and two, it's just like, so talking to many of these of linemen who play for University of Alabama afterwards, they're just a janitor at school 
because one reason is because all they were used for is their athleticism, the mold that they were supposed to do. Yeah. And then said, okay, you completed your task force. We won a championship. Bye. And then right there, I was kind of horrified by that logic because it was once like one, the absolute using of a person yeah. and not giving them the resources. One, you don't have to declare a major. Right. So you're telling them, we don't care about you being educated, right. giving right. you resources. That's a blatantly, right. we yep. don't care. Yep. And just saying, do what you're good at, that we good at as what we value and call it a day. That's right. And so hearing that and just hearing then how it kind of takes root in high school. Yeah. It's as horrifying more of a narrative it is. Yeah. Because you got to fit into this. Because you even go to the typecast of schools. It's like growing up, it's like, it's not supposed to be the black nerd. Right. It's not. Right. It's supposed to be the athletic smooth one. And then you're just like everyone else. It's like everyone has their role they're supposed to have. And this right here is just showing us that's like, hold on. Where does this narrative come from? It comes from a society that shows you what Chris was saying, value this way. So, Natasha, I want to ask you, and then we can transition in the next, is like, okay, those resources, then how does the local church help provide those resources for teens that they feel empowered, that they can then find out who they are, get spiritually equipped, and exceed in the areas that God has gifted them uniquely? So what does that look like? Start with you, and like you personally, how, how have you felt equipped? And maybe you can start bragging on Dex and Chris here for a second, or you can kind of give us a challenge of how we can equip you better. What does that look like? Um, well, when I first started attending the City Life Center program, I started like the middle of the year, but they were still assessing to see how they could incorporate more things for the teenagers and the younger kids um, to enhance their interest. So it first started out with, you can join one of these you know, clubs or classes. And I was kind of confused by that because I'm like, I don't understand what's happening because normally only clubs are at school and it's like the basic clubs like, oh, you can join the art club and then there's no actual person teaching it. So when I got here and there were actual people who are interested in what they're teaching and then they give you the resources you need, that was like a big help for me itself because it like it helped me refine my passion for art itself because when I first started getting interested in art I was kind of teased about it a bit because they didn't think black kids are supposed to do art so I kind of stopped doing it and then when I got to the school I go to now they started to make me feel like I could do art and then joining City Life Center itself they made me feel like I, I was good at it I can actually do something with my life if I keep pushing and now I've like grown to do so many more talents and I would say it's really thanks to um, Mr. Barry, Chris Farrow and Dexter because being at City Life Center is like is giving me a chance to find myself. So one thing I'm hearing from uh, you is follow through like she mentioned someone to school it's like oh sign up for art club but there's actually no one to teach it because they're expecting no one to take it. Right. But one thing the local church does, particularly as you're a follower of Christ, is you follow through on your promise to what you said you want to do for people. And so your way that you believe in a person and the way you're going to give them resources is you're going to, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. And you do it with excellence. And you give it saying, like, I'm doing it because I love you and I care about you. And I want you to become the best person that King Jesus has you to be. 
So maybe then I can transition this. It's then, then how are some ways that you guys think of this table, the local church? Mm-hmm. Like this particular area, it's just like, okay, how does the local church have black students feel, or all students rather, this is a really unique way. I'm not going to get started on just the term urban ministry for me because I don't really like that term because it makes it seem like just doing ministry is different where you are. Because all of a sudden it puts you in a camp and saying like, oh, well, you know, I'm part of youth ministry. Well, I'm part of youth urban ministry. It's like, well, hold on. Right. Time out. Right. You're, you're immediately saying there's a difference. Right. And you, you might have good intention when you're saying there's a difference, but you, let's just talk about what you mean that difference. Right. So I want to ask you guys then, what, is the, what are the resources? What are you guys' thoughts? How does the local church go into its culture? Yeah, so it, it, it all depends on, like, uh, <laughs> what position you come from when you're talking about the church. So, like, historically, we need to brag and boast about the black church, right? And the black church um, took our culture from, bring, from being um, illiterate to literate, uh, which, is, which is crazy, right? Um, but we actually had ownership of our education, and the state had less control of our education. So it allowed the church to have more influence. And one of the things you already said is that when the church comes, it keeps its word, and it comes with the love of Christ. Yep. So education is not just about resources, it's actually about caring as well. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're talking about the white evangelical church, the white evangelical church has to step back and say, why are we overly resourced and our brothers and sisters are under-resourced mm-hmm. or underfunded? Um, First John says, how can I see my brother in need and close my heart to how can the love of Christ be in me? Or how can I say I love God who I do see um, and do not love my brother who I do see? Um, And so I think part of the lack of resources and things like that, um, because of the way that the white evangelical church and white churches have functioned historically, they have played a part in some of these disparities that we see. And so I think that there needs to be a sort of a repentance and lamenting that needs to happen and not just throwing dollars at the situation Mm -hmm. Um, because you need more than money to fix problems, right? You need people, you need a heart, right? Um, And so I think that um, the the church could could aid A by by speaking up, um, shedding a spotlight on these things. um, And hopefully over time, uh, we will begin to see things change Um, because a lot of times the response is, hey, we're gonna paint a park uh, we're going to paint some fences, um, and then we'll see you guys in ten years when the paint is gone. Um, and to me, it's just like, no, we got to put boots in. We got to put boots on the ground, which is one of the things that Bethel Church did. Was like, hey, we're going to plant in in the community. We're going to plant. We're going to make this our home. And I think one of the things that um, that will be beneficial to teens is um, seeing um, the church really repent, lament, and then let's talk about resources. Um, and then I would say I would say the last thing that, that I want to kick around when I pass the ball to them um, is, is talk about uh, food apartheid, which I think is huge, a huge issue uh, when it comes to learning and things like that. But I'll kick the ball around to Chris them in regards to resourcing and uh, church yeah. and how would, it could be beneficial. I would say, and I, I think a lot of people don't really mention this, I feel like <clears throat> I was taught that when you set an expectation, people normally meet it. I think our expectations are too low, and even even for the church and the community. I mean, mm. like, say for instance, I feel like we a lot of times look for outsources, and our resources can be within the community, depending on what it is. And I feel like what has happened is, is that 
we believe that with God all things are possible. We we believe that, you know, Jesus, Jesus came, Emmanuel, God in the flesh to spend time with us, and which is true, right? We believe that, but we think that we can accomplish these missional uh out we can have these missional outcomes without spending time with people. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I think that's because our expectations are so low. We go, this is Gary or this is Crown Point. This is the expectation. This is all this is gonna be. And it's like, yo, this is still God, right? Mm. You know what I mean? And we show we believe in God by being present. You know what I mean? Like it's it's, it's not just especially when it's nothing preventing you from being there except desire, mm. right? Mm. I feel like I feel like we have lowered the bar so low um, that we we applaud ourselves when we come to do something like Bible study. We like we like we do something like Bible study. It's like oh, so it, it appears like oh, that's just what the older older cats do because they you know what I mean. People think I can have my own relationship. So I feel like um, I just feel like the church, local church, needs to be we responsible for raising expectations. You know what I mean? As if the God who created the universe is still in control. Mm. You know what I mean? Like like as if God, the all powerful, Almighty God, who you know speaks it speaks into whirlwinds who can speak to us through 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 his word who can speak to us through people i mean i feel like it's it's really us being visible being active showing what we believe and i and i feel like that in us is a resource in itself now that doesn't mean we don't need a check you know what i mean it doesn't mean right. that, that doesn't mean that we don't need the these things fixed because those things are true you know but like one thing that the black culture has always done has been making lemonade and Kool-Aid out of out of lemons. You know what I'm saying? And I and I think that that's that worked for a little while, but eventually we started like, all right, man, like we got we got this bootleg type of Kool-Aid over here, and they got the actual Kool-Aid man. Oh, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So I think I think you start like when you start when you start seeing that the scale that the scale isn't even, then you can you can begin to feel like as if you missing out you know and i think that the local church the church in general has to raise expectations as knowing that that it's like it's it's uh it's god who is the the one to value you know and when you know that god is the one to value then you realize that any possession that i have you know it doesn't really belong to me hmm. you know but we we prove that by our presence and by our actions what we do that's our actions prove what we believe and i think that the church needs to not just put their money where their mouth is, but they need to put, you know, like right now we got Zoom and stuff, so we can't be close and it's six their feet. feet where Christ right, is. Right, right, like, <laughs> we, we need to start praying with our feet. You know I, what I, mean? I really like, because then it goes back to um, what Natasha was saying of what made her, like, feel like she can, like, actually, like, yeah. follow through on things. So she mentioned people by name. It was relationships. It was the good old-fashioned discipleship of sitting here saying like hey i'm investing you i'm careful i'm going to do life with you and then you guys there's so many different levels to this one that's just personally one-on-one just within your church but then you're mentioning like what you were saying dex with the local church you have like from the black church to white evangelical church part of the problem is is you're seeing uh hey i'm willing to throw money at that problem but i'm not going to invest like time in the problem over here like really getting acclimated together. I know within one of my church history classes is thinking through of one of the shames of the past is of 
you have your local seminaries to where your boys can go and get educated, but the black man wasn't allowed to go in there and get educated. And so I remember one of the denominations here in the story is like, oh, they were allowed to sit on the doorstep and hear into the classroom and get snippets, and then they might go start a church that might have some off theology, and then they were then reprimanded for having heretic teaching, but it's saying that you're not teaching the man, and you're not even investing in them. And then when they're trying to lead people to the Lord, you're, you're, you're basically condemning them instead of saying, hey, let's do life together. Mm-hmm. You're going all around just basically doing the same problems been the beginning of time of the book of Jonah. Jonah was a racist prophet. Yeah. And we yeah. have Jonah's today. And we're just looking to what does that look like to really change it? And it has to be what the Lord says, kind of this whole conversation, value. God says, I value those people, those Ninevites. Mm -hmm. You're looking at them and you like your ficus more than you like these people. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And he's saying, God's saying, like, what are you talking about? And this, we have to come face to face with the end of Jonah. It ends us in tension because it kind of makes us especially me and my camp, have to look yourself in the mirror. It's like, are you going to choose your ficus, your nice little houseplant? Exactly. That your worm's going to kill because yep. God gave it to you? Or are you actually going to choose to, I want to go love those people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so yep. with this time we have, um, particularly now to this harder subject, is where we're at today, it's um, one of the most horrific things that can happen is people being murdered because of their skin color. And this is me looking from the outside in. Because I know in my culture right now that I can't real. I'm gonna say, say I can't relate to it personally because, because it's like I'm not in that camp. So part of my thing is to learn of like, particularly with you, Malachi. It's like, you as a black student today, you see the news come up, and you're seeing that men, someone was murdered just because of their skin color. What does that do to your worldview? How does that, with you being a student, how does that affect you? Makes, it makes me more cautious of things. Like, my mother told me that I couldn't wear a do-rag at the house because people would look at me a certain way as a gangster. I can't wear a hoodie, she said. She don't like, she's scared every time I wear a hoodie because she thinks people going to look at me as a different way. Like, I'm a gang or a thug. Like, I can't do certain things because I'm nervous that something might happen. Like, if I get, I, if I get pulled over by the cops, I have to act a certain way because of the cops killing I have to change how I feel because they're killing us. Hmm. What do you think? Anything you want to build on that, Chris? Man, it's 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 <laughs> it's so far I can go on this because uh, I have been dealing with this personally within my life pretty much as long as I can remember. I will say that Malachi hit a lot of it right on the head. I feel like it is extremely. It's so common that some people are numb to it. You know, like this isn't the first time you've seen somebody killed because of their skin color. And unfortunately, uh, there's there's a quote from Will Smith who says, he says that people didn't just start killing black people. You know what I mean? Um, it's just getting filmed now. Now it's just, you got social media outlets where and you got news outlets out who like or you have like politics you have all these things that have like these um negative motivations behind like exposing it but it's always happened you know mm-hmm. what I mean? so you could so like you got some sides who who would determine that we're going to 
talk about this negatively because it affects a political party, right? You have some people say we're going to bring attention to this and it's negative because we want to affect this this political party. And like, unfortunately, in the midst of all of that, people are miss are not paying attention to people dying, mm. right? The value of a life has been so minimized that um, it depend it depends on how much this person. So you want to belittle the credibility of the belittle the value of a person's life based upon the errors in which they've made in the past, mm. right? So you have somebody being killed, cold blood, on camera, and then we're deciding that, oh, like in this recent thing. And we're deciding what exactly did he do to cause somebody to kill him? It was was the house, you know what I mean? Was the house just an open construction site? Did he take something? Well, ultimately, you know, it's, it's like, okay, if he goes to jail for a crime that he commits, then fine. But you have your day in court. But when it's, when, but when it's the life isn't valued. Right when you're looked at as your life is not valued, then it's easy to pull the trigger and end it. Mm. You know, and I think that that's that has to be. As for me, you know, I have to always like my wife, who is well, I'm in an interracial marriage, and my wife, when I go somewhere, I get halfway. She wants me to call or text her because she's she's worried that something's going to happen to mm. me. If I like, she knows how long it takes for me to get from one spot to another, and if it takes five minutes longer, and she has anxiety. Like it's difficult for her because this is a reality. This is not like some some people had the luxury of calling this an isolated in instance, an isolated incident. This is what I've seen my entire life, and mm. I'm 35. If you go back before the end to my parents' life, where you had like civil rights marches because there weren't laws, like this has always been. And until people are willing to like really deal with the fact that this is real and this isn't isolated. We need to talk about this. We need to deal with, you know, white supremacy. We need to deal with these things. Then I feel like their will is going to continue to have lower expectations. Back to the expectation thing, because people are like this just always going to happen anyway. Hmm. You know what I mean? I can't drive and listen to my music. As he was saying, his mom tells him not to wear do rags and hoods. Like it's the it's the same it's the same messages ten to two. You know what I mean? When you see a police officer, you know, make sure you look straight. Don't draw any don't draw any attention to yourself. All of these things are rules that that unfortunately African Americans have to deal with every single day. And hmm. until the church embraces the teens or, or actually deals with the fact that this is real and this isn't isolated, this is reoccurring, this is often, you know, we can keep listing off names until we pre stop pretending like it doesn't exist, then, you know what I mean, it's going to continue to be lowered expectations because nobody's going to have hope. Looking at the time, and all, I want to bring this, it's um, the promises of God have such a different light and what people go through. And for whatever, when God gives promises to Israelites when they're going through deep water, it's when they're suffering. Like, he gave specific promises. And I know me, when I look at my Bible, I'm like, there's specific promises that I turn to that I'm like, God is good and everything. But one thing I'm curious, I've never, I don't think, asked this question before, is you're in your setting, is you being um, a black student to just being African-American, what promises of God do you cling to in your life that when you're going through like shootings, racism, the lack of resources, fit the mold, when you guys open up your Bible particularly, like um, maybe I can start here with Pastor Dex, 
as he's sitting here and leading the church up here in Gary. It's what promises of God do you want people to cling to specifically in your lane? Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things that, you know, I, I always like to take the opportunity to brag about the black church as much as I can. Uh, because one of the things that the black church did well uh, was that they cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm. It, it is the thing that has, A, kept us going, and B, has helped us to be one of the most forgiving people mm-hmm. on the planet um, because of what we see um, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also look at scripture, and scriptures rem- scripture remind us that God is going to bring justice to this world. Whether it's on the cross or on hell, in hell, uh, we have we have cast our cares upon Him, because we know that He cares for us. We know that if He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, that He would also give us all things. We cling to the fact that um, there's hope um, beyond this life um, for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That 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 this is not the end. That one day He's going to wipe wipe away every tear from our eyes. Um, and so we consider it, in one sense, joy to suffer with our Savior. God has shown us more of who he is. This is why when you go into black churches, we're so expressive and so demonstrative in our worship. Because when, when you've been brought through a lot, celebration is fitting for the occasion. Uh, when Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, I don't understand why people don't do a backflip. But you know why you don't do a backflip? When you ain't been through nothing, you don't shout as loud. Or one of the sayings that we have in our culture is you can't understand my praise until you understand my pain. And when you understand my pain, now you understand why I shout so loud or, or, or why I rejoice so much because God has brought me through so much. I'll say this last thing. I'll pass it on. Here's what Paul says. He says, um, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we Christians are to be pitied above all people. Now, most people you ask that uh, when, when Christians sometimes respond to atheists or whatever or, or, or agnostic, they say, hey, we have nothing to lose if Christ is not alive. I was like, Paul replied totally different. And part of the reason he did that, because Paul been through some stuff and he was clinging on to Jesus. And for us as black people, if we don't have anything else, black Christians, we got Jesus, yep. right? And Jesus rising from the dead is the only hope we have at the end of the day when we look around and see all the disparities and all the oppression and all the things that we have to deal with. Um, God has really kept our mind together. Hmm. I wanted to turn here to, I'll ask you the question, um, Malachi. Like when you look at what the Lord has done and you look at the promises that he's given you, is there any scriptures and, and in uh, particularly that you look to, maybe some teaching that Pastor Dex has done or something like that? I feel like God just wants us together. He wants everybody together, no matter skin color, how you look, how you walk, how you talk. He just wants us together. Hmm. He just wants us as a community because we're all God's children. That's all he wants. Hmm. It's complete in unity as to what, where we're going and the new Eden, new heavens, new earth, and that's coming. We're going to have a time when all the peoples gather together, and the value system that's going to be on it is God's. That's right. And you're going to see just like everyone around you look around. It's not going to be because like, oh man, you're Odell Beckham because you're the, and he's an okay wide receiver. Yeah, he's up <laughs> my Browns, and he didn't do too good. I think Jarvis Landry's better, but it's like or LeBron James, who's the best on. 
recorded the best basketball player of all time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess you can lose that. <laughs> <laughs> he just landed the plane. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, I like what you said there, Malachi. It's just like God wants us all together, and so that plays today in the local church of how does the black church to the white evangelical church like actually come together? Maybe their value systems that they come to saying, okay, if you didn't go to seminary, then you can't be a pastor. It's just like hold on. I'm sorry. Do you know these people? Right. Do you, you serve? Know Jesus disciples do you? It's just like, ah, do you know these people? <laughs> and I speak to that because that's kind of the worldview I come from. Like I'm yeah. learning. It's like as I speak to, I'm honest with you guys at this table. I'm coming to like, okay, in order to like do ministry, you have to go through certain steps. You go through. Yeah. As I'm sitting here in ministry, a lot of my world value system, God's saying, that's not how I work, Foster. Mm. My work, I don't, it's a good thing fostering God because Man. you'll mess up. Right. And so when I look at it saying, okay, if if you have a God it's your way, then I go to Psalm 51 mm. towards David going saying, God, you don't want these things. You want me. You want my right. heart. I could give you an offering, but you don't want those things. Right. And basically when I look at that in this, in this context, it's like, okay, Foster, I can come with languages and stuff. God's like, where's your heart? If you have your heart, then I can work with that. And uh, so as I'm looking at the time and as I'm looking at my computer having 13% battery left, I'm going to say, I want to say thank you to these guys who've tuned in. I just know already we're going to have a part two probably just talking. Because I, I already have questions in this. It's like particularly I would love to talk to uh, Chris and Jay. Like what's it like to the unique pressures you face being an interracial couple? Yeah. That other people, I just know that. I know what particularly just like post-graduation i have so many more questions and i'm excited with part two down the road and i want to thank you so my name is foster toff and this is Vergecast, and we'll see you next time <laughs>